DJ, PK, and David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Joining us now, his weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, you're welcome. What am I welcome for, David? Well, you should know. <laughs> PK, PK, you should know, too. Really, PK, you're welcome. Uh, just oh, well, I thank you every day of my life, whether you're in front of me yeah, of or I have do. contact with you. I just say thank you, David Locke. Do you, do you put it, you, you put out the fire coming down the canyon before they closed the freeway? I, I did not. I'm actually about just about to drive by the fire, actually, because okay. I, I came down early so I could do it before they closed it. Um, no, you're welcome. Like, I've listened to your show because you've been, the, I don't know if you know this, but you've been the top-rated sports morning show for over a decade. Um, that promo, by the way, may have been running for a decade. But um, so uh, I, see what, I was listening. I see what you did there. I see that. <laughs> um, so I was listening to your show, and I thought you had one of the best, most insightful answers to ever any interview I've ever heard you do in that whole decade. Um, and it was because of me. So you're welcome. Set it up for us. Thank you, PK. Or thank you, uh, David Log. Well, thank you, PK, too. What the heck? Thank you, Jake. You're welcome. Thank you, everybody. What was it, David? Give us the backstory. Cranky Joe. Oh, yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I was listening. PK, listening. I was saying Feisty Joe, not Cranky Joe, but you misquoted me. But, I mean, I'm used to the media and the fake news. I, mean, I, it, so. I couldn't. Um, well, I couldn't remember specifically what the word was, but I thought Cranky was ballpark. I, I, would, I would agree. I mean, in the realm of what journalism thinks is ballpark, of course. Um, yes, no, it was, it was a fair depiction. Um so, yes, but I thought his answer was fascinating because I think it's a huge part. And we're at, the, you know, there's different stages of what these guys are going through in the bubble. And that Joe, I thought, talking about just the walls closing in on him, he didn't, he didn't say that, but that's really what he did say. Just the inability to get away from anything going on there and getting away from basketball. Uh, this is the next stage of where we are. And I, I think it's been really interesting. The first stage, I actually think, was hardest on the coaches. They were just practicing. Players were all trying new things. They were having fun experiences. There's, there's great stories about teams playing these incredible pool volleyball games. And there's a story about, you know, a coach sending cases of beer down to the players on, and basically saying practice is canceled tomorrow so the guys have a good time and, enjoy themselves and, and get that camaraderie back and and on one team and there's you know there's stories of legendary card games that have gone on already there's just all the stories are coming out of the bubble and that was like the early stage i think the players you know the 76ers are all fishing and we've seen all that and i think the players at that point were all right and the coaches were the ones that were having a hard time particularly the head coaches where they didn't have anyone to be around they were just trying to get their teams back then we got into games and I feel like for the players is where this is becoming really difficult now. It's the same repetition. They really have no break. I thought, um, Joe, you know, Jordan Clarkson um, is really this interesting character that, like, is like this street cred, hip, protesting, current guy who, from what I've been told, 
actually would like to go live in a Winnebago like Boris Diaw on his catamaran when he retires. Like, he's a guy who really loves to escape and get away. And so the fact that he's not shooting well and he's in the bubble and he can't get away and he can't do, can't be Jordan Clarkson, he cannot be who he is as a person right now, is a huge part of the story. Like, and this is where, this is where we are at this stage of the bubble right now. So the Jazz are giving a lot of players off today. There are multiple theories uh, rolling around from our listeners. Uh, they've been posting them on our Facebook page, and there are people who think uh, they're just it's load management. There are people who think the Jazz are trying to engineer a playoff matchup with the Denver Nuggets. Um, it's probably a bunch of other conspiracy theories out there. What do you think the main motivation is for sitting Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, and Royce O'Neal in the same game? Well, if you were trying to manage play the Denver Nuggets, you would do this all the next day, wouldn't you? Possibly, yes. I mean, if you're trying to do that, then you lose to the Nuggets, make them three, you become six. So it seems like that would be what you would do the next day. Uh, I think it's two-part. I think it's, one, simply load management. You have a back-to-back, and you're just trying to get guys, you know, you're trying to make, you know, your priority is that on the 17th of August or whatever it is when we start playoffs, that you're healthy. So I think that's, you know, that's the priority, the singular and only priority at this point. Um, The other thing is if you're – they do have a unique opportunity – to play these young players who've all had a very good G League in an environment that is much better than G League, much better than preseason, much better than summer league. It's real NBA basketball against NBA players playing at full bore. And so if you can find a way to get some odd minutes from these guys, like, you know, if it's 15 minutes per each next four games to be 60 minutes, but you can't do that with all three guys. Then you, you're blowing up your entire rotation. So in some ways it might be easier just to do it for a day. So let me own a, and Jarrell Brantley and, um, and, uh, Juwan Morgan and Rajon get some run and see what happens. I don't see much of a difference when we get to the postseason, whether it's Houston, Oklahoma City, or Denver. Do you? Yeah, I do. Um, so one is experience. You know, Chris Paul having just, you know, 15 years of experience, James Harden, Russell, both near a decade, compared to Denver's lack of experience um, and lack of playoff success. I mean, I know they won a series last year, but even that was pretty underwhelming. Um, uh, Yo, Rudy bothers Jokic. So our best player, defensive player, predominantly best player, bothers their best player, whereas Rudy doesn't really bother Chris Paul and James Harden a great deal. Um, Denver can't shoot. Um, they are largely predicated on an offensive rebounding game, which I think falls apart when you hit the playoffs because everyone's playing with a little more intensity and focus, so you can't get as many offensive rebounds. 
Um, and I think Denver has no rightful order of the basketball universe. And so I'd love to play them under pressure. Do you think well, that it is Denver? Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you think the Jazz would still, still be underdogs against Denver? Let me make sure that we're perfectly clear about Denver as I just, you know, gave you all the reasons I'd like to play them. They were also the two seed last year and going to be the three seed this year. I mean, they, like, no one talks about Denver. Everyone loves New Orleans. There's a, there's a really big difference between Denver and New Orleans. Denver wins and New Orleans loses. Like, give Denver credit. They win. They find a way to win all the time. Does it bother you that the Jazz haven't beaten them in the two meetings this year? Obviously, the third one coming up. It bothers me far more that we're missing 31 minutes of Boyan Bogdanovich and can't seem to figure out how to fill it. So, um, you know, I think we have enough issues that we have to try to figure out in the next four games before we pick our opponent. Does Joe Ingles have to shoot more for this team to win? Joe Ingles, yes. Joe Ingles actually has to play the game he played the other night. So, Quinn came out talking about wanting to run and and get up and down the floor more, and that really means that Joe Ingles has to be put on Bogdanovich. I talked about this a lot kind of prior to going into the bubble. We kept talking about we wanted to run. We actually lost the guy that runs the most for us. Like, I don't know, you know, I fucking I guess why we don't think of it that way, but Boyan uses like 24% of our fast break possessions are Boyan Bogdanovich. Or something either that or points. I mean, he's the guy who scores our fast break points. Um, he gets out. Joe has to be that guy. Quite honestly, Joe wasn't doing that. Like, if you watch games, if Joe, if Donovan or Mike got the ball, Joe wasn't sprinting up the sideline to go get an open opportunity. He was coming back to get the basketball to run a high pick and roll with Rudy. And Joe needed to do that because Joe's incredible at that. He's one of the best pick and roll players at 680s got unique skills in his ability to do that. But he, for what the team needs right now is they ha- he has to balance those two things. He has to balance both his desire to run the pick and roll and create in the middle of the floor and be our leading assist guy and the team's desperate need for early three-point shots. The other thing is that it, it, if you look back at Joe's career, he used to be a five three-pointers a game at four-to-one catch-and-shoot off the bounce. And he's become more off-the-bounce threes than catch-and-shoot threes. That's actually bad for Joe, statistically. He's one of the best catch-and-shoot three-point shooters in the league. He needs to get those. The way he's going to get those is getting out early. He scored all of our fast-break points against Memphis. Every single one of our fast-break points was a Joe Ingles point. So Joe, when Donovan or Mike gets the rebound, Joe's got to run the floor and run up and beat out a head pass and then get the, take that open look for three. It's so it's that scenario. Then, if that doesn't develop and he gets down to the corner and he is able to flatten the floor that way, that'll open up early driving opportunities for Mike and Donovan. And if that doesn't develop, then we can get into the Rudy Gobert, Joe Ingles pick and roll. He got nine of them the other night, which is about 10% of our possessions. That's about the right number. They score, I think, on six of the nine. That was the perfect balance for a Joe Ingles night. 
Joe told us that Johnny Bryant grabbed him in, uh, uh, I, I don't know if it was at the, I think it was the quarter break, but it might have been a timeout late in the third, but I think it was the quarter break between the third and fourth quarter. said, you have to shoot four three-pointers in this quarter for us to win. And Joe said that was in his mind when he launched that deep three that made it, I don't know, 116-108, something like that. He hit back-to-back threes with about four minutes to go that pretty much ended the, the Grizzlies' chance of winning that game. And he said that was in his mind when he took that three a couple steps behind the line and there's still 15 or something like that on the shot clock. Do you think the Jazz can keep him that aggressive from the three-point line? Because that was clearly differently than he usually plays the game. So that's a really good shot, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, and it went the in. fact is, yeah. statistically, the 32-foot three-point shot is the next shot in the league. Dame's doing it with, you know, and he's been the revolutionary player who's done it. But if you do the math on that, there's two things that are going on that tell you that that's a good shot. One is the teams are denying the rim at an incredible rate, and they've just committed to not letting you get to the rim. Teams have spread their offenses enough that other than the Jazz, you can no longer deny the rim and deny the three in the NBA. Uh, if you deny the rim, you'll allow threes. The top ten teams deny the rim, like seven of them allow the most threes in the league. The only two that uh, don't are Oklahoma City and Utah. So that three that Joe took is actually a good shot now. And the other one that's interesting about it, and this is going to be kind of a statistical evolution, is the players that are taking it right now are all good shooters. And so they're all making that shot at about the same rate as a long three anyway. They're at about 33 34% on that long shot. You know, 1.02 points per possession, which once you're in the half court, that's a pretty good number. So that shot is actually the next shot in the league. If Joe comes up the floor with 15 on the clock and they go under and or miss the switch, as he talked about in your interview, and he's wide open and it's a 34-footer, it's actually probably the best shot you're going to get that possession. That's the next stage happened? in the NBA, by the way. The next stage in the NBA is to take your not very good mid-range shots and move them to 34-foot threes. That'll be a weird-looking game, but that's what's going to happen in two years. Anything happen in Orlando that has surprised you relative to the prior portions of the season? Yeah, I think uh, rookies are second-year players now. Almost every rookie is playing really well. We'll see Keldon Johnson today for San Antonio has been really, really good. Um, so I think I think you're seeing – I think it's a, it was an off season, And so you're seeing players – and I think that's what might be interesting about Miona and Jarrell Brantley and Rajon Tucker, these guys today. Is th- those guys aren't rookies anymore. They're all second-year players. Michael Porter Jr. is a good example. He's been incredible. All the breakout players are in that same kind of ilk of player right now that they're – they were players that kind of got their feet wet I think we've all been there in some circumstance in our life. When you're in the midst of your rookie year, or the case, you know, Mike Conley's been brilliant. He probably fits into this as well. You get you you get into that new experience, and it's going fast, and you're trying to figure it out. You think you're doing all the things you can to settle yourself and get yourself back to normal, but you're not because you can't even find normal anymore. And so this allowed, I think, everyone to stop, regain who they are, learn from their experience, and get better. Um, so I, I really, you know, even year two to year three players look better than they did 
that's a common jump in the league. That jump's happening right now. Um, so I, I think there's been – the players, to me, have all taken a maturity step for the, the next step in their careers. It's not a continuation of last season. Ingles is the one guy playing. How long is his consecutive game streak now? It's got to be 300 yeah, and something. I, yeah, I'm sure that's what, I mean, that's why he's playing today, so I'm sure he'll play a little bit. Um, the, also, the other one, though, it's nice to have Joe out on the floor with the young guys so that there's some semblance of, you know, if Justin Wright Foreman's running the point and he has a tendency to shoot a little too much, um, you know, Nigel Williams-Goss, is, who I know has been nicked up a little bit with a sprained ankle, is probably more of a true point guard. So you need to, if you're going to figure out whether Mia One, Jarrell Brantley, Juwan Morgan, or Rajon Tucker can play, you know, solid NBA minutes, then you need somebody out there that's giving them some semblance of order. So there's, I think there's some importance. So I, I'm sure Joe will be a bit limited today. Um, you know, it's, I, I think today's a really interesting game um, for, for a few reasons. Like, you know, Quinn's got a really long leash on everybody right now because it doesn't matter. But like my guy George is great, but he's 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 not you know, he's two for sixteen from three, right? Like if and I and I think he's a little nicked up uh on one of the injury reports. So you know, George can get that shot back. Right now it does look flat and it looks like it's hitting the front rim all the time. It doesn't have a lot of its regular George to it. Well maybe there is something wrong. Well, and we better find out if Jarrell Brantley or Jerron Morgan can play because when George Niang is still two of sixteen and we're in a playoff series, that that's not the, the leash is over. Uh, you know, I don't want to be going to second round draft picks or undrafted kids in a rookie year to try to solve things, but it, it would be nice to know. And, and and I've got a I've got a funny vibe on Mia One. Like just watching this is a bit a little bit of watching Toronto and watching. Um, Oklahoma City, and they play differently than we do, so this might not be – I might be wrong on this. But Mia One just gets into people. He's kind of got a little bit of a, like, there's a great – play. you know, there's a practice story about him and Dante this year, and that, that wasn't the only time that happened. Like, I mean, he just goes at people. He's kind of a relentless – there's a few stories out of the G League with him where it was like, you know, him going through the, the – the shake hands lie at the end of the game, talking trash. It's like whoa, whoa, whoa! Like, like this is gonna you're gonna like gotta play like 80 games against these guys. Like, you know, like he's got a little something to him. I, I'm curious to watch him more than any of these other guys and see whether or not he can bring that a force to the game that actually, if you're gonna play five or nine or ten minutes, might be something for the Jets. It's very hard what you're asking these guys to do. Uh, Bart Taylor, the G League GM of the year for the Utah Stars, who's a brilliant basketball mind, made a fascinating comment to me in training camp about all these guys. He said they were all the number one option. They were all the primary guy on their team. They have to do the opposite of what you'd think coming into the NBA. They have to narrow their game down, not stretch it out. And uh, that I think that's a, a pretty interesting way to look at them. They need to so, – can Mia One narrow his game from being Yale's primary scorer and all these things to being a defensive force and a corner three shooter? And I think he's the one who can narrow it down the fastest. David, we know you got to run. Early game, 11 a.m. 
We will talk to you again next week. We'll hear you on the game. Appreciate it. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I had to make sure that Mione wasn't from Jersey, PK. He was describing a Jersey, the Jersey attitude, but he's, he's uh, born in Northridge, Calabasas. Yeah. yeah, Calabasas, and then to Yale. Well, he went to a, uh, an academy in between. But I guess, can you have the Jersey attitude and not be from Jersey? Sure, yeah, we can adopt you if you're, if you're a mean <laughs> SOB. Absolutely. <laughs> you're a mean SOB. All right, when we come back, we'll check in with Brian Taylor. What's going on at the PGA Championship? That's coming up next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz in the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net. Presented by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Jazz and the Spurs at 11 o'clock this morning. It's an early game on AT&T Sportsnet. It's right here on The Zone with the pregame show at 10 o'clock. Tip-off at 11. The Jazz will be shorthanded. They're resting Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, and Royce O'Neal. Joe Ingles is available. Damian Lillard went for 45 points as the Blazers continue to surge towards the postseason. They beat the Denver Nuggets 125-115. to The Jazz and the Nuggets will play Saturday. The Rockets beat the Lakers 1 113-97 behind 39 points from James Harden. And the Clippers take down the Dallas Mavericks 126-111. This back-to-basketball update is brought to you by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. For a bank that understands your business, Zions Bank is for you. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big deal! With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Cam Miller is with us from SB Nation. If we're able to see some sort of season, what are your thoughts on the potential at BYU this year? Well, I think outside of Provo, maybe even including inside of Provo, I'm probably the biggest Zach Wilson fan in the country. I know that there's discussion and people may rather see Hall, but I think Zach Wilson, when he's healthy, when he's on his game, and when he's got one of the better left tackles in all of college football blocking for him and Brady Christensen, I think the combination of Zach Wilson healthy with Christensen on his blind side, pass protecting at elite levels, there's very few better atop the leaderboard for returning quarterback and left tackle combinations the big show weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5 1280 the zone and the zone sports network this you at a golf and zone sports network 2020 pga championship update with real golf radios brian taylor is brought to you by mountainland supply zines bank hoops vision Siegfried and jensen and get some guns and ammo time to bring in bt brian taylor good morning brian Good morning, guys. Good to be back on with you. How's everything? Uh, things are good. You know, we talked with uh, Bob Casper yesterday, and PK said, what do you think the range is for the winning score? And he said, you know, I think uh, six to eight under, kind of that window. Do you think there's any chance that'll be the number having seen the first day? Was that the easiest setup? Tougher pin placements, slow this down, or double digits into the teens, got to go low to win this thing? I, I think it's, you know, uh, yesterday was, was favorable, uh, as they would say, weather conditions, right? The wind doesn't, didn't come up. The golf course only plays a little over 7,200 yards. It's a par 70. So it's not the longest these guys will face, but the real, um, I guess, equalizer is, is the heavy air there by the bay, of course, and the cool temperatures, and then the wind that picks up off Lake Merced. And they didn't really have that much of all, at all yesterday. So guys were able to go at it. Even though Tiger complained that some of the pin placements were hard, now guys were plenty of guys were making putts, including Tiger. 
But I, you know, look, winning scores or leading score, I should say, is at five under par. I think guys will, you know, typically in major championships, you see where they are about the halfway point, and then you, you add a couple, and it seems to be that's where it's at. So I can see guys get to ten to twelve um, before this thing's over. So there is a maybe a little bit of more of an inordinate amount of guys that are within five strokes of the lead, and right now we got Todd and Day who are five under, so all the way down to even. Do you see this continuing to this degree where there's just going to be a two, three dozen guys, basically, that could possibly be in contention through the weekend? Boy, I hope so. Um, that is, that's, that's the most fun uh, major championship to watch when you've got so much action and so many guys within striking distance as opposed to somebody running away with this thing. Um, it's, I think it speaks to this golf course, too. You know, this is a, a municipal golf course. It's, a, it's You know, people can go play it. I, it's a little exclusive, right? I mean, it's not the cheapest. It's not like going and playing one of ours here in, in Utah, per se. But, but that, that said, it, it, you look at those guys that are, you know, right there in contention, and you've got a mix of bombers and, you know, short knockers and all that kind of thing. So it, it's – it's a really good um, good golf course. I think it's going to allow various types of players. I mean, look at Zach Johnson, Brendan Todd. Those guys aren't bombers out there. And then you got, of course, you know, Tigers within striking distance. Brooks is obviously a bomber. You know, Jason Day hits it plenty far. So um, there's there's a, a mix of guys, and I think that, to me, that makes it for a, a fun contest because you're going to see different styles all battling it out and, uh, you know, see who see which one wins out. So. Uh, I, I think you're going to see guys. I don't know that anyone's going to step up and run away with this thing. I mean, Brooks had a 63 last year at Beth Page to kind of give himself some separation. And so far, it, you know, everyone's kind of staying bunched. And I think you'll probably see that. You know, it's weird to watch. Uh... An early in a major, especially when it's on the West Coast, because they can show so many more golfers. You know, the average tour event on the weekend, you see the leaders. I mean, you see so many more golfers. You see guys who aren't playing as well, who aren't as close to the lead, and watching some of those guys scramble. Number one, I guess we don't see the errant shots. We don't see the guys who are dropping the ball into the... Uh, into the you know halfway down the hill towards the water, and then trying to play out of there... How often do these guys scramble? Because you, you like go to majors normally. I mean, it's a different year, obviously. Do you see that a lot at these championships? Am I just noticing it more because it's on TV more because they're showing more golf early in a major? You mean the uh, guys that are struggling out there? Is that what you're? Well, kind of. I mean, like Phil was two over, and Phil had some outrageous shots, and and they were debating whether you know he should just take the drop or try to pull some magic off because he wasn't even in the rough. He was in the. I don't know what they are, the, the wild hinterlands or something. You know, there was grass up to his <laughs> knees. And he's like, oh, I'm going to knock this out 60 yards into the rough. And then, and then there, it, it just seemed like there was way more scrambling. That it wasn't as much fairway to green, you know, putt for birdie kind of stuff. They're, they're, you see those guys scrambling, and normally you don't see them on a Sunday in a tour because they're not in the hunt and they're showing the leaders. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the PGA does a good job of showcasing as many people as, as possible. So that, that's... And, and, of course, you know, what you just described is, of Phil Mickelson is pretty typical for a round with Phil, even if he is in contention. The guy's all over the place, and that's what, what makes him so entertaining. But, uh, you know, it, it, this golf course, too, typically the fairways are fairly generous. They have, you know, they've grown these fairways in. They're really narrow. So you're going to see some guys hacking out. They, they're talking about 
coin flip style rough, I guess, maybe 50-50. You might get a good bounce, a good lie. You might get a really horrific lie. And, and I think we're seeing more on the horrific side. I think guys are finding themselves with some pretty some pretty tough hay they got to hit out of. So, um, you know, it, there is a bit of a premium on hitting fairways. And I think as the greens dry out and firm up a little bit more, you know, as the week goes on, I think you're going to see even more of a premium on, on fairways hit. So you're not going to be able to get away with as much of that, you know, hit it as long as you can, um, hit it all over the lot and still get away with it style of golf. Uh, I do think you're going to have to hit some fairways. But, yeah, I, I think it, it does speak to, to some West Coast, being able to see some more action. And, I mean, we had golf going from, what, six thirty, you know, 7.30 in the morning mountain time up until almost uh, 8 o'clock or so last night. So that's pretty fun stuff to be able to get out and watch some primetime golf on TV, and it's good for the sport, too. Do you find, as far as being good for the sport, that the television viewing is better without fans? Mm. You know, I thought about that because I did hear a, a, a stray yell every once in a while after you know, if they were kept showing guys were cutting holes in the fence uh, material that that kind of blocked the you know the the property boundary and people were peeking in and watching and things like that and every once in a while you hear somebody holler some something stupid after somebody hit I really don't miss that to be honest the the guys that just want to hear their voice on TV for whatever reason I don't know DJ maybe you could explain that phenomenon here TV guy but um, everybody wants to hear their voice on TV yelling something stupid but um, so I don't I don't miss that from a television viewing standpoint but you do have Sometimes it's harder to follow the uh, the momentum that you would see when when players are feeding off of what the fans are doing, and uh, although it's a, it's a bit of an equalizer too, I, I think you don't get the home court advantage. You know, the star players don't get that home court advantage that they often would get. I mean, I've looked at some of the tournaments in the past, and you know, Justin Thomas and Colin Morikawa were in a playoff few weeks ago, Justin Thomas rolls in a bomb and Morikawa drops one right on top of him to continue the playoff. I'm not so sure Morikawa can gather himself if that place erupts. JT, obviously the more popular player, and he drops in that 50-footer. I think the place erupts and it's going to take a while to settle down. And I think it makes it that much more difficult for a less experienced Morikawa to, to gather himself and make the putt in that moment. But when it's dead quiet, you just step up, okay, he made a putt, I'll make a putt. So uh, I think you miss a little bit of that. I think that's, that's the biggest element. Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio, join us. He and Bob Casper on every Saturday morning. You can check their show out. Uh, so Bob was on yesterday, just as the tournament started. We did a three-round draft trying to pick the winners. I'm going to mm-hmm. read you an order. I'm not going to tell you who's who. Picks you love, picks you hate. You do have the advantage of seeing 18 more holes of golf. But uh, first round was Justin Thomas, John Rahm, and Patrick Reed. Second round was Colin Morikawa, Brooks Kepka, and Roy McIlroy. Third round was Tony Finau, Webb Simpson, and Bubba Watson. Picks you love, picks you hate. Well, uh, I, I, my picks going into it were JT, uh, Webb Simpson with a dark horse Brendan Todd. And so, I, I mean, I, li- I still like those guys. Webb didn't get off to a great start. Uh, Brooks Kepka, I mean, telling you, that guy, <laughs> the guy is a, it's a real big story what he's doing. I mean, he's, you know, nobody has won three PGAs in a row in nearly 100 years. You've got to go back to Walter Hagen. Nobody even knows who Walter Hagen is unless you watch Bagger Vance. I mean, I think that's <laughs> the only time we've even talked about Walter Hagen. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's remarkable what he's doing, the fact that he gets into contention. So, um, I mean, all those guys are good picks. Uh, you know, Colin Morikawa is, uh, to me, is one of the up-and-comers that, that you, he, he has a lot of game. Uh, when it comes to majors, obviously it's 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 a little tougher, uh, and he's still what just second-year player now. But 
Um, again, minus the fans, I think uh, that's a great equalizer. Justin Thomas didn't have the start that, that I thought he would. He's number one player in the world. He's coming off a win last week. And his game was statistically is at, at the top uh, on the PGA Tour. So uh, we'll see if he has a bounce back round. But, um, you know, Brooks, I, I, don't, I don't know. Who, who put Bubba in there? I'm, I'm surprised on the Bubba comment. Who do you think put Bubba in? <laughs> I didn't want to assume. I didn't want to assume PK. I'm just saying. PK, that was PK's. Uh, that was the last pick in the third round. Bob drafted first. I drafted second. PK drafted third. So that was the ninth and final pick. Bubba. Okay. Bubba. All right. Well, hey, you know what? The guy can get hot, but uh, on a golf course, it's going to require some fairways. I don't know that I would have gone Bubba. So I guess I don't. I don't like that pick, PK. The other ones are. Those other ones are all pretty good, though. I'm interested that you went with Todd because I don't really know a lot about him, but yet I've been hearing his name a lot more this season. I just put him in there because he's already won twice. He's put himself in contention time and again. And I'll tell you what, here's here's a great story. You'd love Brandon Todd, PK, because it was just literally just over a year ago, the guy had like the full swing yips. He was grinding it out on the Corn Ferry Tour and, and had considered quitting the game. He couldn't break 80. I mean, it was just a, it was a tough thing, and he, he's somehow been able to battle through. And here he is, two times a winner this year already on the PGA Tour, and been in contention, you know, multiple times. And now he's got his first uh, ever first you know, eighteen hole lead and his lowest round in a major. I mean, the guy's just, you know, he, he's quite, it's quite the story. It's a little inspiring, you know. And in a year where we're all down a little bit and wondering what's going to happen, and I, I think you could. You know, maybe Brendan Todd can be our sea biscuit of 2020, and we can we can all rally around a guy that's uh, been able to find something out of nowhere and, and and have a successful year. So it's kind of a cool story. What happened to Jordan Spieth? He was all that. Now nobody talks about him. Nobody picks him in our draft. He's not remotely close to the top of a leaderboard. There's got a lot of names to- close to the top of the leaderboard. What happened? Man, that that is uh, so. <laughs> he's on the other end of the Brendan Todd, right? Uh, it's that that one is a big mystery to me. He you know he he just got out of sorts and really started working on the long game. And and while he was practicing, you know, trying to figure things out on the long game, he wasn't spending time on his short game. And then he lost his putting stroke. Jordan Spieth had the it factor with the putter, the the, the, the Nicholas it factor, the Tiger it factor. He just he willed putts into the hole. If he needed to make a putt, he'd make a putt. Remember his win? His last win was the Open, and you know that whole famous go get that. You know when he scrambled out and made you know, made putt from, made a putt from downtown. I mean, it was just, he had that ability and I, it was a bit of an unconventional golf swing, uh, you know, a little bit of a, you know, he, he was talking all the time. You know, he just was a fun, entertaining guy that seemed to have everything going for him. Even if it was, this wasn't the perfect Adam Scott, Tiger Woods looking golf swing. He, he knew how to get the ball around and most importantly, roll the rock. And uh, it's just, it evaporated. Something happened. I don't know if I could pinpoint it, but it just started going the wrong way. And his confidence has clearly been shattered and he's searching. Um, you know, he hasn't done anything major. He's stuck with his caddy. He's stuck with his, uh, his childhood swing coach, you know, to this point in time. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, we saw Tony mix it up a little bit with a caddy recently. Uh, will Jordan do something? It's, he is, has way too much talent and, and success early on tour to, to be done. I, I still think he's got a lot left in the tank for his career. But, but right now, you can see it. After a really good opening tee shot to start this championship, uh, he, he, he started hitting bad shot after bad shot, missing putt after putt. And you could see it in his demeanor, his shoulders slumped. And, and he's like, here we go again. It, you could just see the weight of it. 
he just needs something good to click. And I think once he finally puts one all together, it's going to light a, a storm again, and you're going to see him uh, speed back on a roll. Why don't they just keep the PGA Championship in the U.S. Open on the West Coast? You, you get to pri- you get to put the best golfers in prime time in the East. It helps viewership. The daylight lasts forever. The further north you go, the better. But there's multiple courses from from Torrey Pines to Harding Park where they are now. Obviously, I personally would be in favor of Pebble Beach anytime. Uh, sign it up. The Olympic Club. You, they've been to Oregon before. I mean, why not? Well, uh, USGA is, uh, you know, they're headquartered in New Jersey. So um, that's uh, blue blood, you know, territory there. So there's no way they'll, they'll discount the, the Northeast. But it's a fun debate. Bob and I have had it during the COVID time when we couldn't talk tournament golf. We started talking about favorite coasts. You look at Long Island and, and, and all the golf courses there in, in, in New England, Long Island area, up, and then compare that to Northern California and Monterey Peninsula. And at the end of the day, we settled on, I mean, we're kind of West Coast guys anyway, but we settled on, on Monterey. I mean, first of all, you have weather, you can play all year round, and, and the scenery is just as good, and the golf courses are, are, are arguably as good as well. So, um, I, I, look, I love West Coast golf. Uh, it's fantastic for all the reasons you mentioned. But, you know, I, I mean, they're never going to settle on one site. But, uh, but, but you, you all, all valid points from what you're saying, DJ, and, it, and it's, it's – this is interesting, too. Normally, the, the knock on West Coast golf is the Poana Green, and they talk about how they can get bumpy and whatnot, you know. But this golf course actually has, uh, has bent greens uh, for a West Coast, which is a bit unique. And, and I think that you're seeing guys rolling it, and I think that's why it was such a low scoring average on the first day. We'll hear you tomorrow morning on the show, Real Golf Radio. Brian, thanks for joining us. You got it. Always good to talk golf with you, boys. Brian Taylor, Bob Casper, Saturday mornings. Wake up to it right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. All right, we're going to take a break. Coming up, we've got uh, Quinn Snyder meeting with the media at 925. It's pregame chat before the 11 a.m. tip-off with the Jazz and the Spurs. We'll get to that, and we've got a lot of Jazz fans reacting to the Jazz sitting for players. We can talk about that. We will get to that next, and we're waiting for the Big Sky's official announcement to play or not to play, to play in the fall or the spring or shut it down altogether possibly split the season even. We'll get to that coming up. Stay with us. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. It's been a long four months. Welcome back. Oh, Donovan, don't do me like that. But finally, the NBA is back. Back up and hammer. That is filthy, Rudy. Catch every second of every moment of Utah Jazz basketball. As the Jazz resume play from the bubble in Orlando, your exclusive home of the Utah Jazz is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Zero Res. Clean home is a healthy home, and right now Zero Res is cleaning carpets for $33 per room. Mention DJ and PK when you call and you get a fourth room clean for free. That's right. We're good for free, PK. Mention DJ and PK, and you get a fourth room clean for free. Call Zero Res today to schedule your cleaning at 801-288-9376. Have you ever felt so valuable, PK? No. <laughs> Uh, we got multiple questions today because we got multiple stories here. Uh, the Jazz are without the uh, Conley, Gobert, Mitchell, and O'Neal for the Spurs game. Joe Ingles will be the one starter available. Uh, they're going to play a lot of the young guys. Uh, what do you think of that? And, man, up and down the line, 
There are a lot of Jazz fans who think the Jazz are trying to engineer a matchup with the Nuggets, which David Locke discounted a little bit. He said, well, they're trying to do that. They just sit versus the Nuggets tomorrow. I guess if the Jazz beat the Nuggets, it could set up the Jazz and Denver in a 4-5 series. Keep the Jazz in front of Oklahoma City. Houston catches Denver and goes to three. You can drive yourself nuts doing this, but somehow I think with uh, you know four million people doing analytics for the Jazz these days, somebody was assigned that task of playing out all the scenarios. So you think like maybe a million and a half people were assigned that task? Would not surprise me. That's a lot of people to be doing one task. <laughs> but if is. we all pull together, I think we can accomplish it. <laughs> Thank you, PK. Uh, you think it's as simple as the you, bench. You, you said earlier, it's the bench. Yeah. This is the bench issues. Yeah. I mean, look at the game that they won against Memphis, right? They basically neither six players include Clarkson. I realize five start. But that's the nucleus of the team right now. It's pretty thin. So get these guys some real experience. You know, I agree with what Locke said. This is better than the combos of which they would have played major minutes. Would be G League, would be scrimmages, would be Summer League. Well, none of those really count compared to this, right? This is legitimately a regular season NBA game. So it's an interesting concept that they do this to rest all these guys. And also, too, these starters are going to have to play major minutes for them to have any kind of success in the postseason. I mean, that's just a fact, and that's going to be grueling. So maybe you can get some guys some confidence, and then you can count on them, and they can springboard this if they play well into something else as far as a bigger role over the next would then be three games and then the postseason in 10 days or so. We have multiple people uh, posting here uh, what they think, where they think this is going. Uh, Chris saying, great chance for the young guns to get some minutes. David Locke came on and said, Mie Oni has the best chance. You know, you're going to be the best player at Yale. But if you come to the NBA, can you, can you defend? And can you sit in the corner and hit threes? Because basically... <laughs> Donovan Mitchell, Mike Connolly, and Joe Ingles are going to run the offense. You're not doing that. Uh, Bogdanovich, when he's healthy, and Joe and Mike and, and Donovan are taking most of the shots. Rudy's getting the dunks. So you, you have one job. I guess you have two because at the other end of the floor you've got to defend. But you get one job. Hit open shots when they come your way. Don't overthink it. Yeah, I really don't know about some of these bench guys because Locke's able to go to the practices when they're at the practice facility. We're not, so I hardly ever see these guys play. So I don't know. I don't have any firsthand knowledge on who does what for these guys and what their potential is. That's basically behind closed doors. Yeah. At different times, I have heard people say, we really like Brantley. We really like Juwan Morgan. Uh, but, you know, will that translate into them, you know, evolving and growing to, so they can be the eighth guy in the rotation? You know, can you get in the rotation and be guys seven, eight, or nine? And where you're playing 15 to 20 minutes a night and contributing something. You know, obviously they're not there yet because they're playing the starters these huge minutes. If somebody could come in and give them 15 or 20 minutes, then they would have a Niang Clarkson type role. And they don't have it, so they're not there yet. Uh, I thought Locke's point was interesting about. This is um, 
basically guys have had an offseason, so rookies are second-year guys. Second-year guys have breakouts in their third year. They really figure stuff out. Guys who've changed teams like Conley, you know, have had time to process it all, hit reset, and now no excuses. Play at a high level, level deliver. Uh, he went to Michael Porter Jr. too. That actually made sense to me that this was essentially an offseason and guys who are on the verge of figuring something out, they have figured it out, and it's obvious to all of us now looking at box scores and watching games. Yeah, Porter, if you use him, he's really taken off. But he was playing more than the Jazz guys were playing more. So I don't know that you make the jump that big of a jump. You have to have some base, some foundation to springboard from, and Porter's had more than that. So the jump can be uh, going from out of the rotation to in the rotation. It can be going from uh, slightly effective to very effective. Um, but those are all jumps. But you're right. Where, how far you jump depends on where you're starting from. All right, DJ right. PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Uh, you know, it's, uh, we, we talk a lot of Uten Cougars here, some Aggies, but the Wildcats, Weber State getting a lot of run with the Big Sky uh, season hanging in the balance. A lot of you posting about that overnight and through the show this morning. We'll get to that next. Quinn Snyder's coming up about 9.25. Stay with us.